John Curtin Gallery are very pleased to invite you to the final days of two very, very exciting exhibitions. Joining us right now in the studio, and I'm very thankful to have her here, she's got a very busy week on at the moment, Kathleen Tamar, uh, Carol Up, manager of John Curtin Gallery. Good afternoon to you. Lovely to see you, Kathleen. Good afternoon, Jenny. Well, I thought I'd you. lost you there for a while. Thank goodness. I get panicky when I can't find my guests. It's all right, darling. <laughs> now, Kathleen, you are the daughter, and I'd love to hear a bit more about this, if you don't mind, of your late mum correct? Mm-hmm. Um, Alma Tuma, the last surviving Karolup Car- artist. What were the group, the Karolup artists? Uh, the Karolup artists was basically a child artist movement that occurred uh, from basically in a 10 year period. Um, well, maybe more like eight. So, uh, 1945 to 1951. Right. Aboriginal children that were stolen were incarcerated at the Carolup Native Settlement and under the um, guidance of their teacher, Mr White, they engaged in an art practice and that was very unusual because art would never have been an activity that would have been encouraged in um, historical native settlements. Why is it then that the children were able to do that? They engaged in it instinctually. The first um, child that is recognised for undertaking a drawing of country was Parnell Dempster, and he had taken a piece of charcoal out of a fire and had written and you know was drawing landscape in his school book. And he spoke with Mr White, the teacher, and I think from the historical information we have, there was a point of connection then between the teacher and the young student. And Mr White, we have to keep in mind, he and his wife as teachers were musicians. They did not have any arts training, but as we all know, music is a universal language, and they did share music with the children as well. And... Um, that also occurred with church and so on. So with those type of activities being offered, um, he developed a rapport and he would take the children, particularly the older ones, on what he called rambles in the evening before they were locked up in their dormitories. And I think he did that as a kindly gesture, gesture because those you know rambunctious boys locked in you know, there's no toilet in the dormitory, there's no water, mm. it's either hot or cold, you know, poor environment to be raised in. The walks were something in which he spoke about observation and he allowed them time in country where they would have normally had to remain at the settlement and undertake all of their activities, which included uh, f- all farming, aspects of farming, and domestic servitude. Goodness me, that's amazing, isn't it? And the children, obviously, this is part of the exhibition, is it not? It is part of yeah. the exhibition. Um, the John Curtin Gallery holds a Herb Meyer collection as a custodian for the Aboriginal community. And of those 127 works, um, this exhibition is particularly poignant because um, the works have been back on country for a decade now. But it is the first exhibition in partnership with the Burnt Museum and also the State Library of WA and also a private collector from Minnesota in the United States. So for people to see the Carolup works and the story of uh, the Carolup children, um, 
this is the most expansive story that they would ever actually get to see in the history of the exhibitions. That is very interesting. Uh, the artwork went widespread around the world. It did indeed. Yeah. So, uh, Sir Optimist Florence Rutter, when she came to Western Australia, her intention was to set up other Sir Optimist chapters in Australia and New Zealand. And as we know, Sir Optimists are ladies that are very much interested in the betterment of women and young ladies themselves. But when uh, Mrs Rutter uh, became aware of the children's artwork because ironically she visited the publisher of a magazine called Milady. And Milady in its day would have been much like um, our Woman's Day of mm -hmm. today. And she saw full colour images of the works. And so the very next day she went down to the settlement. She went to Gatanning and found it of her own violation. And she met with the teachers and she met with the children and she started to develop a rapport. Um, in a way, a sense of philanthropy. She wanted to help them because she saw the duress and the living uh, conditions that they were experiencing. And she appreciated the art. So she left there with 300 drawings for £5. And the continued relationship was that the children continued to make work and send it to her. So she was almost a commissioning uh, agent for them in Europe. And she undertook showing the works in many places. Um, and they're very prestigious places. We are aware that the Windsor Collection for the Royal Family holds one. Uh, the Royal Family in Copenhagen and in Holland hold some. And there are many works that would be distributed in Europe from the children. And Florence's intention was, and she did set up a foundation to help them. So, in that's effect, wonderful. she's quite a champion in this story. Well, yes, well, that's so unique, isn't it, for her to have travelled all around the world like that and to be so appreciated. So, were they in charcoal or had the children progressed to painting? Initially, their works were made with common blackboard chalk that the teacher would have used because the um, settlement would not have had any no, artistic materials. And in fact, Florence then um, did also introduce one of the older artists to oils. Yeah. And so the materials were offered to them became uh, more of a better quality and better paper and they produced some incredibly large masterpieces mm. and um, those true. works were lost for a, a great deal of years um, over 50 until they were rediscovered in Colgate University in upstate New York so those works have travelled the world. My goodness, and to bring them all together here to John Curtin Gallery. Yes. Very, very lucky, aren't we? Well, we are, because yeah. um, given that the works that we hold were actually Florence's remaining personal collection, um, of which one of my mum's works was held that she made when she was six years of age, um, we're very lucky that it remained as a collection, and when she sold the collection to Herbert Mayer, she insisted that it remain intact and not be distributed. So she was very wise in that respect. 
Very much so. I mean, it really is. You've, we've only got a short time for people to get to see you, this exhibition as well. And that's just one of the exhibitions, correct? That's correct. Um, the gallery, we have around four exhibitions a year. And uh, later on this year, too, we will be exhibiting works from the Carol Up story at 139 St George's Terrace at the Perth Old Boys School. Okay. So, you know, our intention is to help inform the community as much as possible about uh, the experience that the children had and, uh, you know, the demonstrated resilience that they showed in making their artwork. The artwork itself um, is absolutely naive. They have... A told a story. Peer, they peer-taught each other. Okay. Um, and artists such as uh, Reynold Hart, who people would understand um, as he continued his arts practice, their in- intensely good quality works, and these are artists that have never, ever been trained. What about as they grew into adulthood? Did they end up doing more artwork? Some did. Yeah. And um, uh, Revel Cooper would be well recognised for his um, participation in the art sector. However, all of the artists um, basically died as paupers. Uh, The artists themselves would have never had any um, financial remuneration Mm -hmm. from what they had did. Um, I'm only, I think, very lucky that in our family... um, Mum was continually supported uh, with her arts career and from her experience at Carlop, her initial uh, work was hand-painting sepia photographs. So her, yeah, her yeah. skill was recognised. And then after that, she went to uh, work in the Dandenongs um, at the first Aboriginal-owned and run cultural tourism centre, and that was um, undertaken by some of the uh, senior leaders of the NAIDOC movement. Goodness me. So there's, there's a history there, isn't there? There's is a very lovely connection. And what about you? <laughs> um, I actually went off and studied fine art as well after my mother at the same institution, the Claremont Technical College. Um, but my passion actually lies in music, and um, I'm a musician and a um, drummer and a percussionist. Oh, well, good on you. That's still a very creative area, isn't it, to be involved in, that's it for is. sure. Oh, but I still paint and do yeah. sculpture. Yes, yeah. oh, a natural way you. of being. Well, I just think this is going to be wonderful. Now, running alongside, it's a separate exhibition. I don't know if you're involved in this, are you not, with the homelessness situation? The homelessness exhibition yeah. is a beautiful um, a way to segue into contemporary life that um, Aboriginal people that have been stolen and have gone through several institutions, in effect, um, homelessness could be considered a direct result of their experiences as stolen generation people. And within that project, which was a partnership between Wanganing Aboriginal Organisation, which deals with health and mental health, and the research um, contingent at Curtin, we were very proud to um, have the exhibition up because each of the homeless people was given a camera to document their own life as they saw it. So the perspective is very much point of view and it still continues it helps people understand yeah and the people that attended um that were participants i personally felt it was very joyous to see them esteemed uh and be in you know 
the gallery space is given some dignity awesome yes yeah you're Jenny, absolutely yes right. it was the dignity you named it yeah, dear it is so true their homelessness is the most horrific thing that happens around the world doesn't it the exhibition only till sunday yes until sunday yeah. so you have thursday and friday we're closed on saturday but open on sunday from 12 to 4 and today and tomorrow yes and from 11 to 5 until 11 to 5 people can come into the gallery here in the university grounds curtin university and look that is just wonderful it is such a story isn't it i mean it really is a huge part it of history it is a multitude yeah. of stories jenny because yeah. within the uh collection itself we have many of the works attributed to unknown child artists and the core of everything we do in mm -hmm. reality is to find the family connected to the artist to attribute it and also in a sense allow them the rights around that work has that happened it, it has indeed yeah, um, that's we have 17 known works and uh, there are only uh, a few that can be reproduced in any way because you know we have to adhere to the protocols uh, for reproduction in w western law but we also have to adhere to the cultural protocols around the art in relationship to family yeah of course absolutely great respect for everyone involved Thank look you. that's fantastic now is there a tour or anything you know if people come into the gallery so they get things explained to them at all yes we've been running oh, uh, many tours this week and um we can arrange that for you i'd suggest all you need to do is ring the gallery and ask to speak to uh, Cornet willis yeah and Cornet can arrange a time right. for a tour and um I can also participate in that uh, if people wish. Well, there's so many stories there. It's just wonderful you shared just a couple with us today, Kathleen. Thank you so much. Kathleen Tumar, Carolop Manager of the John Curtin. Beautiful gallery it is as well. Thank you. Thank for you, Jenny. Thank you. Curtin Radio.